0: So you'll see in the leaflets, the next story is the Luke 15, starting at verse 11. That's the prodigal son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there... Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied.
1: is Bernie and he was a missionary in the Middle East in Pakistan I think in Jordan and Yemen for a number of years. Uh, to, I, mean, I, I think our country's best evangelist to Muslims you might know the surname. Anyway Bernie tells a story one time being in a, I forget which country but being invited uh, to his neighbours uh, I think two-year-old daughter's birthday party so Bernie went with his wife Catherine and they entered the courtyard and there was the goat they'd killed for the feast in its disemboweled state, hanging there. And being the guest of honour, Bernie got to sit next to the host at the head of the table. I mean, the guest of honour, you get the choicest parts of the meal. So the host went to this big vat and pulled out the goat's head, minus the eyes, came to a big plate of rice gave the head a deft twist and the brains fell all over the rice. And the crowd all went yum, yum, yum and Bernie just kept his thoughts to himself. (laughs) He then took the head to Bernie's plate, yanked open the jaw, pulled out out the tongue and flopped the tongue in front of Bernie who said, you are too kind for words. Uh, (laughs) Faced with the prospect of greasy brain and slimy tongue, uh, the time came for a distraction. And on the wall was some portrait. So God, Bernie turned to the guy next to him and said, who's that? And the guy turned, and as the guy turned, he flopped the, the tongue onto the guy's plate, who was very pleased, pulled off a piece and flopped it back into Bernie's plate. And then he said the whole meal was spent with him making distractions and this time, we flopped from plate to plate around the room so finally he said a, a piece of brain attached itself to a grain of rice and slithered down Bernie's throat and he couldn't eat anything else for the whole meal now maybe that story resonates with you maybe you've been to parts of the world and they said come for dinner we have a surprise for you we'll cook our famous delicacy have some nods there and you eat the meal and you say oh really that's lovely what was it? <laughs> And they tell you, and you feel like spewing, because, oh, have I eaten that? Uh, but you eat it because, well, I think you do, because you, they're being, we saw this, this morning, we, they're being hospitable. It's, a, it's not about fattening you up, it's about their way of expressing kindness. I was in Kyrgyzstan a few years ago, and I went to a village for, just for, uh, for tea. And what they do there is they, they give you half a cup of tea. Like half a cup, I'd like. To, is there a water shortage in Kyrgyzstan? I mean, in my country, you get the full the full cup, but they give you there half a cup because it's their way of saying half a cup won't be enough. You'll need another one. That is, you'll stay. It's their way of saying we want you to stay. It's, it's, it's lovely, really. Uh, so I, I, I travel a lot. And meals, as you know, meals with guests. When I, when I come say here, uh, Cameron and. Uh, Car and Phoebe, not because I'm looking a little emaciated, because they're way of expressing kindness. So they're, they're powerful expressions, as you know, of welcome, love, kindness, etc. Very powerful. Um, about 18 years ago, uh, my mother died. And uh, my father, this happens often, I think, with men, uh, married, uh, met a woman quickly afterwards, uh, very quickly, began to go out with another woman. And my only sister, who's single, was deeply hurt. Deeply hurt. I mean, mum's body barely still warm in the grave and dad's out with another woman. And I just saw before my eyes, my, my family, my mother, my father and my sister just torn apart, just torn apart. Uh, if I were to use the word hate, it would not be an exaggeration. Um, the road to reconciliation began... On the day Ruth invited Dad and his woman around for a meal. That night had nothing to do with food. As Ruth's way of saying, I think I'm ready to begin to forgive and reconcile and form a relationship. So that's that's how powerful meals are. And I, I think you understand the parable of the prodigal son once you understand that once you get the importance of meals. You see, the chapter begins in verse 1, 15 verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Bad enough, he teaches them or touches them, but he has a meal with them. That is, he welcomes them, he receives them, he loves them, he accepts them. They, they know what this means. In a meal, meals are powerful. In fact, we, we won't do this at length, but if you read through the previous chapter or two, the theme of meals appears again and again in Luke. It's very powerful. Uh, Luke 13, a man says to Jesus, how many will be saved? He says, make sure you're saved. Because on that day, many will find the door shut. And they'll say, but Lord, we ate and drank with you. We had a meal with you. We thought we knew you. He'll say, I never knew you. But on that great day in heaven, there'll be a banquet. They'll come from east and west. Not the ones you think will be there. The Gentiles, they'll be there in that great meal in heaven. He says in chapter 14, which we read on the one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a Pharisee. Has a meal there. He says, don't take the top seat at the banquet. Don't think you're important. Take the back seat. Leave the top seat for the least. And when you have a banquet, don't ask your friends. Ask the poor and the blind and the lame. Then the the parable of the great banquet. where those who are invited, make excuses why they cannot come. Who's there in the end? Go out and bring in the blind, the lame, the poor, the nothings, the least, bring them in. Again and again and again, the theme of meals. Who's there? Not the ones you thought would be there. Not the first. Not the so-called righteous. But the last, the least, the sinners, the tax collectors. So the theme is building for two chapters. And now it reaches a climax with this powerful story and the muttering of the first. Those who've heard Jesus say, you won't be there perhaps. You may find the door shut in your face. They mutter. They grumble. Why, why is he eating with riffraff, with garbage, with sinners? And the Lord knows their thoughts. So he tells three stories to explain why he eats with sinners. About a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. All making the very same point. When you've lost something precious to you and you search high and low and you think it's gone, then you find it. Why? You rejoice, you have a party, you celebrate. That's what I'm doing. That's what God is doing. These are lost people that are precious to us and we found them. So we have a party, We celebrate. That's why I do it. So three times the story ends with the words, and he began to celebrate. And he began to celebrate. And he began to celebrate. And if you're in the crowd that day and you heard these stories, you might well say, I get it, Jesus. I get, I've, I've got the point. Celebrate. I love, I love your stories. They're great stories. Thank you so much. Can't wait till next time. See you on Sunday. And you pack up to go home. Except the third parable has a second act. Part two. With another brother. He was mentioned briefly in the first part, just in passing. A man had two sons, but he's just there to give the story some color. Now the other the other son takes center stage. And now the whole debate changes, I think. Before that, our Lord was in the dock and the Pharisees were the accusers. Why do you eat with sinners? Now, they are in the dock and our Lord is the accuser. He says, in effect, tell me, Pharisees, why don't you eat with sinners? Why do you mutter and grumble at my love and compassion and grace? So we have now the second part to the story, the often neglected part, the parable of the elder brother. So brace yourself. He's not very nice. He's out working in the field. That's so how he spends his days. I think being the heir, he's not doing manual labour. I, I guess he's kind of the supervisor, managing the, the work. But he comes home as normal. But this day, things are different. This day, he hears from a distance a, a party in his house. He can hear the music. He hears the mandolins and the flutes and the, the drums and the cymbals. There's a party in his house and no one told him. <laughs> so he grabs the young boy, what's going on? What, what, what's the... The dancing, what the music? Oh, haven't you heard? He's back. He's come home. It's striking. He doesn't go inside. He just waits outside like he feels he doesn't belong. Can you picture his face? He's back. That kid who took everything, that, that ingrate, that selfish, despicable ingrate is back. And what's dad done? He's thrown a party. This isn't about fattening up a skinny kid who's been in a pigsty. No, no, I know what this is. This is a public statement to the whole town that I receive him, I restore him. I welcome him. I accept him. That's what this is. So he won't go in. He won't go in. Because to go in would be to make a statement, would be to say, I stand with dad in receiving my lost brother. I won't do that. I will stand outside and stay outside. Isn't it striking? the one who spent so long inside the house is now outside the house. And the one for years outside the house is now inside the house. Or I guess in Jesus' words, the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, um, the father comes out to seek his son. And the son, there's, there's no niceties, there's no polite father. He launched into a tirade of abuse. It's, it's interesting, you may meet someone like this and they, they, seem, they seem very nice. they like, oh, he's a lovely man, she's a lo- lovely person. Uh, and then you press a button. The button might be, I don't know, it might be Muslims, or refugees, or indigenous people, or homeless people. You just press a button. And suddenly out comes all this vitriol and anger and spite and resentment. Whoa, where'd that come from? Well, it was always there. Well, that day, dad pressed a button. We see the, the, we see the heart of this boy, this elder brother. He begins, what's his words? All these years I've slaved for you. Can you hear the father? Slave? Slave for me? Is that how you've seen our relationship? I'm I'm the taskmaster, you're the slave. <laughs> I thought I was your father, you're my son. Well, you slave for me. And besides, you're the heir, now he's got his bit, you're the heir of everything. If you're slave, it's for yourself, not as much as me. Slave for me. And I've never disobeyed you. Well, <laughs> that's, things have changed now, haven't they? The public insult to the Father. But we see now, don't we? We see in his heart, we see pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. We see a heart devoid of love, compassion, pity, mercy, grace, utterly devoid. We see there a cold, callous, hard heart. I've never disobeyed you, but deep down, I loathe people like him. And he haven't give me as much as a goat for my friends. we met this father in the first part. He's kind, he's compassionate. He, goat, I've given you everything, kid. Every, every goat, every donkey, every cow, every blade of grass. It's, it's all yours, everything, everything. What do you mean not give you a goat? But when, this, when this, son of, this son of yours comes back, do you, do you hear those words? Not when my brother comes back, when this son of yours comes back. When my kids were young, my girls, my two girls, used to keep their room a bit of a mess. And I'd say to Sarah from time to time, being a sensitive husband, Honey, have you seen your daughter's bedroom? <laughs> Yes, I sit our daughter's bedroom. When, when this son of yours, in the space of a few moments, his brother well, is as good as dead. I have no brother. And my father is my taskmaster. He severed both relationships. In fact, it's clear, I think, what this son thinks the father should have done. He should have had his quiet time and read Deuteronomy. He makes it very clear what you do with a son like this. Deuteronomy 21, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, they shall say to the elders of the town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey us, he is a glutton and a drunkard, then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. And this son would say, amen. Amen. And I'll cast the first stone. That's the brother. But as with the first part of the story, so the second is the father who has the last word. And isn't it lovely? The father now has two sons, both out of relationship and treats them both the same. He goes out to them. We're told he went out to him. He didn't send a servant say, you tell that boy to come in now. I'm the father, you tell him to come now or it's all over. He goes out to him and we're told he began to plead with him. Not threaten him, not coerce, not command, not cajole. Beg, plead, son. Actually the word in Greek is a tender word, child. Child, I love you. I've always loved you, just like him, no different. I deeply love you. I do. Is he better off if you spend all these years in a pigsty? Has he had a richer life? You meet that sometimes, don't you, with kids who you know, just resent growing up in a Christian family. Goodness me. Goodness me. With parents who love you, who give everything for you, pray for you, delight in you, and you resent that? I've always been with you. All I have is yours. Everything, look around you. Everything I own belongs to you. Everything. Why are you so resentful? Then like any good talk, it ends with an evangelistic appeal. But we have to celebrate and rejoice. I think, it's just, I think his tone of voice changes. That little word had or must, the little word in Greek, it's just day. It just means, it really means it's God's will. When the Lord is 12 in the temple and his parents are frantic and angry, what are you doing here? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? The son of man must suffer and die and rise again? Son, Pharisees, we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to. He was dead and alive, lost and found. In other words, today, Pharisees, is decision day. Whose side are you on? If you're on God's side, you'll rejoice, not through clenched teeth and gritted gritted teeth and clenched fists, but with open-hearted joy. Are you on God's side or will you stand against God, muttering and complaining at his grace? Today, Pharisee, today's son is decision day. What's your choice? Rejoice or complain? Decide now. And that's where the story ends, isn't it? What will the son do? What will the Pharisee do? You know, sometimes you, uh, you meet someone, uh, maybe at a, camp, at a weekend away like this, and uh, you, you think, hang on, don't, don't I know you? Haven't we met before? Do, do your face is familiar? You have that experience? With this elder brother, haven't you met him before? Don't you recognise him? Isn't his face familiar? Yes, it is. You know him. Isn't he that prophet that God said go to a foreign city very very wicked and preach against it and the prophet went on a boat in the other direction why because you're scared to preach no because he knew what would happen he'd preach they'd repent and God would forgive them. Damn it. So he went away. Because he knew got, you're full of compassion and kindness. He went away. You know the story? Of course you do. And the big storm, and the big fish, and whoop, on the land. Goes to Nineveh, and what happens? It follows the script, doesn't it? Follows the script. Jonah preaches, they repent, and God forgives them, and Jonah rejoices. Hallelujah! A God of mercy. No, he doesn't. He goes outside the city and he sits down and he simmers and he sees and he sulks. What does God do? He comes out to him. He says, Jonah, Jonah, should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? Jonah, I made them. Shouldn't I love them and forgive them? Shouldn't I do that, Jonah? Shouldn't I? Jonah, we had to celebrate and rejoice, Jonah. And that's where the story ends, doesn't it? What what did Jonah do? I've no doubt in our Lord's mind when he told this story was Jonah. I've no doubt. What will Jonah do? What will the son do? What will the Pharisees do? Well, we know what they did. They so despised God's grace, they rose up and killed the Saviour. Because grace just sticks in their throats. Well, let's not end today with a, a prophet or a Pharisee. What about me? What about you? Any time now for public confession? Any elder brothers here this morning? Any closet Pharisees? Any little Jonas? Oh, come on, Mike! You can, I'm an evangelical. <laughs> I, I love the gospel. Well, I've just sung it. This is amazing grace. I love that song. Love, I've got a brother who isn't a believer. If he came to Christ, I would throw a party. For the whole church, I do cartwheels around the church and ruin my back. Really? I I can't get this guy. Can you really? Can you work this guy out? How can you be like that? Really? I've got parents I pray for, people at work, uh, Digby's friend. Really? They came to Christ? Wow! I can't work this guy out. Really? Really? Doesn't grace ever stick in your throat I I just think friends if grace has never stuck in your throat and made you angry you don't understand grace there you were at school you were little Trevor, try hard. Yeah, you, worked, you put in the long hours. You worked hard. Came exam time. You, you, you did very well. You got a very respectable second. Because in, your, in your class was Susie Smartypants, who did no work. Just listened to One Direction and Adele. Played netball and just did a couple of hours' work, but God gave her such a big brain, she created the exams, and you were thankful for that. Praise you, God, for your gift. Didn't you praise God for Susie? Of course you did. You rejoiced in God's grace to Susie. Of course you did. There's a movie some years ago called Amadeus. Remember that, Amadeus? It won seven Academy Awards. The story of two composers. Mozart and Salieri, one famous, one not famous. It begins with Salieri in a madhouse, claiming he was responsible for the death of Mozart. He lived his life obsessed with hatred and jealousy. Now, the problem was Mozart was brilliant and Salieri was average. Salieri, Salieri knew that. Now he, wasn't, he was a good composer. He was the, the composer for the, the emperor. He tutored the emperor. He, his, his operas filled halls and they were good operas. But they weren't great operas. Mozart wrote great operas. And he was a wretch. Immoral. Salieri called him a giggling, dirty-minded person. Salieri prayed for the gift of music. He renounced the flesh if God were given this gift and he gave it to another. He gave it to Mozart, of all people, a wretch like Mozart. And in a very powerful scene in the film, he burns a crucifix and makes a speech to God which could come right out of the mouth of the elder brother. And Salieri says this, From now on, we are enemies, you and I, because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy and give me only the ability to recognise this incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you, I swear it, I will hinder and harm your creature on earth. As far as I am able, I'll ruin your incarnation. Because it's so unfair. Don't you ever feel that? You, you, you pray for your parents. You have done for 30 years. You give them books, they've never read them. Ask the church, they never come. Then Mary becomes a Christian. That's wonderful. Within a month, her husband. Within two months, three kids. By the end of the year, both sets of parents. And you're thankful for her? We've got three kids. You prayed for them from before they were born. Had morning quiet times with them, sent them to youth groups, Sunday school, camps. Did all you could, all you could, to see one, two, three walk away from God. There's Harry. Comes to church once a month. Never prayed with his kids. Wouldn't know how to pray with them. One's a pastor. One's a missionary. One's married to a pastor. You thank God for it. Well, there's Elsie. A dear, faithful saint. Loved the Lord Jesus. Dying slowly of a motor neuron disease. It just breaks your heart. And you pray for her. You've prayed at the church for years. She gets worse and worse and worse. There's John. He's away with Harry. Most of he's playing golf. Comes occasionally, gets cancer, you pray for him, and he's healed wonderfully. There's Elsie, a faithful praying saint, slowly withering away. And you plant your church, in my case, your Bible college, and you pray. You preach God's word faithfully, you love your people, then down the road is the new glory in Jesus church with the dynamic pastor and the great music group. Never preached the Bible, but he, he tells funny stories. And they love him and they flock to him. In fact, they leave your church to flock to him. And you thank God for the glory in Jesus' church, don't you? I ran a Bible college based on the Bible. I taught the word faithfully, and I, to see my college just stagnate and others liberal or grow and grow and grow. And I thank God for how He blessed them, didn't I? I think if we're honest, Sometimes, God's grace to the undeserving can stick in our throats, can't it? It just seems so unfair. So at times like that, I remind myself of the story of the elder brother and the words of the father. Son. Michael. Richard. And Karen, you're always with me. All I have is yours. Look at the stars. The whole creation. You are a co-heir with Jesus of everything. Everything. You're my beloved son, daughter, I love you from before the foundation of the world, I love you with a love inexpressible. I'll love you always. So ungracious to Harry or whatever I call them. It's, it's, It's all of grace. It's all of amazing grace. So don't let grace stick in your throat. But rejoice with unutterable joy. Let me pray. Father, we, uh, the words about amazing grace do roll off our tongues very easily. And we do, we do, we do love you and love, love your grace. But sometimes we wonder at the ones you're gracious to. So please forgive us uh, if there are times in our lives and we just bear a resemblance to Jonah or their brother By your word and your spirit, make us more and more men and women of grace who who sing grace, who preach grace, and who live grace. We ask this again for your glory and for our good. Amen.